The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Everybody and welcome to Main Street Vegan. It is a bright, beautiful, almost autumn Wednesday afternoon in New York City, wherever you are and whenever you're listening. I hope that this is an absolutely glorious day for you. Just eat those fruits and veggies and love the animals and save the earth. And this day is going to get a whole lot better. So I would just like to catch you up a little bit on some of the valiant, vivacious, and victorious vegan activities going on around here. It just seems like there are more of them all the time. So let's see. Tonight, tonight here in New York City, is the premiere of Speciesism, the movie. We did have the filmmaker on the show a few weeks ago, and you can find that interview at uh, unity.fm slash program slash Main Street Vegan. And that can also take you to iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you like to look to listen to that. Speciesism is a documentary that explores this whole concept of why is it that we have just determined that we're different and better than anybody else on the planet. And that ties in really, really interestingly to our discussion today when we bring on our special guest in a little bit. That's going to be Melanie Joy, Dr. Melanie Joy, author of Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. So if you happen to be listening live and you happen to be anywhere around New York City, Check out speciesismthemovie.com. Show up tonight at the School for Visual Arts Theater and be there for the premiere. But that movie is going to tour all over this country. So go to the website, speciesismthemovie.com, and find out when it's going to be near you. And then, of course, there's always DVD. Then, speaking of fabulous documentaries, I've spoken before about another one of my favorites. It's quite new. It's a Canadian film. It's not in the States yet. They're working hard on that. It's called The Ghosts in Our Machine. And the ghosts in our machine are all these animals that we use and very often sadly abuse to keep this machine of of human culture and commerce running. But you know and I know we don't need to be doing that. And this film beautifully follows the work of a photographer who documents what goes on with animals in the Western world primarily. So check out the ghostsinourmachine.com and 
tomorrow, again, this is if you're listening live, we're talking about Thursday, September 19th, I'll be one of the guest coaches. They take people through in a wonderful blog how to do what they call the ghost-free journey. In other words, going vegan, opening up to more compassionate living. And so this young woman named Siobhan is asking some really, really deep questions. One of them is, why do people go unvegan? Is it that they don't feel good or that they think they don't feel good? Oh, do I have answers to that question? You can check out um, theghostsinourmachine.com September 19th and see what I think about that. And then she also wants to know about feeding cats. And since cats are compulsory carnivores, I know some people have made their cats vegan with proper supplementation of taurine and arachidonic acid. I know, I know. I was never able to do that with any of my four cats who graced my life for 35 years. But interesting question. She's saying, so maybe we shouldn't even have cats. Maybe we shouldn't even be sharing our home with cats. Oh, for heaven's sakes, let's just spread the love in whatever way we can. And we'll work out the imperfections. You know, this is earth. And sometimes it's just not perfect, but it can also be pretty darn good. So I'll be elaborating on all those things tomorrow at theghostsinourmachine.com. Then I want to let you know what William, my husband, and I did on Monday evening. We went down to the Chinatown area to a gorgeous new-ish restaurant that we hadn't been to before called Rawlicious. Now, I don't know why I thought that Rawlicious would be a casual little cafe, diner kind of place It's not at all. It is beautiful. Oh, my goodness. It's one of those places where you're nourished just by walking in and seeing the chandeliers and the decor. I mean, it was so wonderful. And a terrific woman named Donna Peroni, who has run a group here in New York called Accent on Wellness for 17 years. This is a raw food support group. Wow, 17 years ago, were you thinking about raw foods? I don't think I was, even though I was vegan. But Donna has stuck with it. It's become the raw food vegan meetup group here in New York City now. So she put together an amazing event featuring Sherry Soria and Dan Latterman of the Living Light Culinary Institute in Fort Bragg, California. This is a raw food culinary school. I have been out there, and it is just a little bit of heaven on earth. They have a shop, they have a cafe, and a wonderful program where anybody can go just to learn to make healthy food better. They're the only certified school that is all raw, all vegan, and gluten-free. Really interesting. And they also provide chef training, so you can be certified and go open a restaurant. But for the rest of us, they're the authors of Raw Food for Dummies. And so they were talking about all sorts of fascinating information in the midst of the rest of us enjoying an incredible five-course meal. So while we were having things like a beautiful appetizer pumpkin soup, an absolutely exquisite kale salad that they said they softened up, not by marinating so that it would get soft, but just by massaging the dressing into those leaves right before serving. They had that with a couple little sushi rolls on the side. And then we could choose between a raw pod thai or a raw pizza. William and I both had the pizza. It was sensational. The crust they just make out of a flex meal and put it in a dehydrator. And then there was a lovely little tiny dessert, a little peach cobbler, which I just think is so, I started to say so sweet. Well, it is sweet. And the great thing about raw desserts and rich desserts and sweet desserts is you can get to the point where just a teeny little bit is enough It's not going to hurt your blood sugar. It's not going to hurt your pancreas, but it gives you that beautiful little punctuation at the end of the meal. So while we were enjoying all this great food, Dan and Sherry were talking to us about great information. I'm going to share some of that with you. One of the things they said was that without vitamin C, 
you cannot create collagen. Now, collagen is that underlying structure that keeps your skin all plumped up and smooth and keeps you from getting wrinkles. You need that vitamin C in the food because when you extract it, you're getting the vitamin C, but you're not getting the hesperidin, the bioflavonoids, all the stuff that comes with it. So when you're eating your wonderful citrus fruits, cantaloupe, berries, greens, that vitamin C, as long as you don't cook it, which destroys the vitamin C, is getting into your body, into your skin, making you young and beautiful. Pomegranate juice is a wonderful source of that as well. Some foods can withstand heat, and Sherry and Dan were adamant that they're not raw food fanatics, and we can certainly have some cooked food, but... You know, you want to um, also know which ones you're damaging more with heat. So foods like uh, bell peppers that have a lot of vitamin C, you're better off eating them raw because they're pretty delicate. You want to supplement vitamin B12 and vitamin D. We've told you that. In the opinion of Sherry Saria and Dan Latterman, the harmful foods are fried starches like French fries and potato chips And any starches cooked over 240 degrees, now when was the last time you baked something in your oven at under 240 degrees, creates acrylamide, which is a cancer-causing substance. Now, cooked oils are another problem, so we know about not having fried foods. But something I had never thought about was roasted nuts and the roasted nut butter that I often spread on cakes, which have also been baked now that I think about it. The raw nut butters cost more, so I just say, eh, get roasted nut butter. What difference does it make? Well, I'm seeing now that it does make a difference because we want to stay away from those cooked oils. We don't want to get into that area of, um, what do they call it, advanced glycation end products. Those are A-G-E for short, agers. (laughs) So let's just eat some really good food. Lightly steam your broccoli. That's going to release even some more phytonutrients. Eat early in the evening. You're going to need less sleep. And here is my favorite quotation. Well, this is my second favorite quotation. I'll give you this one first and then my really favorite quotation from Sherry Saria. She said, base your choices on what to eat, on how you want to feel. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, when you eat stuff that seems like it's going to be real good before you eat it, that you know you're going to feel kind of bad about it later. Well, how about doing something different? But here is the quote of the evening. Sherry Saria said, a high-speed blender, oh, I hope I can say this on a church channel, is like really good sex. Once you've had that kind, you don't want the other. So I have got on record as saying, you know what? Any old blender will do. And you know what? Any old blender will do. You can make a smoothie. You can make a green soup with any kind of blender. But you know what? It is kind of nice. When the holidays are coming, you've got a birthday coming up, you've got a gift card from Bed Bath & Beyond, maybe you do kind of want to upgrade to a super-duper blender. So that was a great evening. Sunday, I was with Kimberly Wilson. Kimberly is a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy. She also has a fabulous blog that you may actually follow because thousands of people do called Tranquility Du Jour. And she is just finished with um, her first book called Tranquilology. And she and her husband are traveling around the country in a pink van on the Tranquility Tour. And you can find out about that at TranquilityTour.com. And when she's coming to your city or your town, which she may very well be doing because she's going all over everywhere, uh, check it out. This is a great way to be tranquil and peaceful. Kimberly is a yoga teacher and all sorts of other wonderful things. And then finally, before I bring on our guest that I just see has called in, and we do want to be talking with Melanie, but I've got to tell you this. On Saturday morning, I got an email from the woman who runs Jill Milan Bags. These are fabulous, high-end, beautiful, beautiful vegan handbags. So check out jillmilan.com if you want to see those. But she said that the people who did Forks Over Knives were going to be filming a new film, at least a little part of it, called Game Changers. 
This is a documentary that rethinks macho. What do we think of as a really manly man? Well, they're looking at men who are vegan, but who are also great big and really powerful, and they're masterful athletes. So on Saturday, William and I took a whole bunch of trains way, way out into Queens to a biker bar called Sheep Shots to see Rob Bigwood, who is a champion arm wrestler and a vegan, with a whole bunch of other champion arm wrestlers doing an arm wrestling competition for this film, Game Changers, which will be out in a year. So look for the film. Check out Rob Bigwood. He is the nicest guy you would ever want to meet. And here's the deal. When you become vegan, it is stereotypically believed that you're going to spend your time doing things like going to the Mother Earth Eco Festival. Well, sure, you're going to do that. That sounds pretty fun. But you might also go to a biker bar in Queens for an arm wrestling competition. The vegan world is encompassing everything, and we're here to enjoy every bit of it. Something we're all going to enjoy in a very few minutes is a conversation with Dr. Melanie Joy, author of Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. Coming up after this, stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous love offerings of listeners like you. If you feel spiritually fed by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, welcome back to Main Street Vegan. I'm your host, Victoria Moran. So happy to be with you. And my very, very special guest is on the line, and she is Melanie Joy. She's a PhD, she has a master's in education, and she's the founder and president of the Carnism Awareness and Action Network, that's C-A-A-N. Dr. Joy is a Harvard-educated psychologist, professor of psychology and sociology at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. She's a celebrated speaker. Oh my gosh, if you've never heard her, Find out where she's going to be and get there. She really, really is a woman to hear. She's the author of the award-winning Primer on Carnism, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. She's written all kinds of articles. She's been on BBC, NPR, PBS. Good morning, Croatia. Oh, my goodness gracious. She's been around. And Dr. Joy is also the author of Strategic Action for Animals. You can find out more about her great work at www.carnism. Victoria? 
Um, Melanie, <laughs> did you invent the word carnism? That would make you a word inventor. Uh, well, thank you. First of all, Victoria, coming from you, such an um, introduction really means a lot. So thank you. You're one of my personal heroes and very inspirational to me. Um, and in answer to your question, I did coin the term carnism back in 2001. Well, that is really something to say. Have dictionaries picked it up yet? Um, it is actually coming out in some encyclopedias, um, and it is um, on some online dictionaries now. It's in Wikipedia in various languages, so not yet in English. Um, it was, and um, we're working on getting it back up there. But it is really starting. It's been it's been published in um, national and international press all around um, Europe and the United States and Canada. So it's exciting to see the word catch on. Oh, that is exciting. So for people who are going, huh, how, what is it, what is it? Well, you know, carnism, I, I actually came up with the idea of carnism when I was a doctoral student and I was researching the psychology of eating meat. And, um, and what I found in my research as I interviewed vegans, vegetarians, meat eaters, meat cutters, butchers, and people who raised and killed their own animals for food was that everybody had very similar attitudes and behaviors toward eating or, or working with animals and, and that these attitudes and behaviors don't exist in a vacuum. Um, and these you know, they reflected this, this deep rift, this ambivalence toward animals. Some animals we love, other animals we eat, for example. And so I realized that there was much more to the picture, um, go, much more going on. And that was when I realized that there is, in fact, this invisible belief system that conditions us to eat certain animals. And that's the belief system that I called, uh, I came to call carnism. It's essentially the opposite of veganism. You know, we, we tend to um, label only those belief systems that run counter to the main stream as though, you know, people who eat animals don't have a belief system when it comes to, you know, eating animals or not eating animals. Um, but in fact, we, we do. That is absolutely fascinating. I think you're the only person that I ever know who is so smart that you have not only invented a concept, you have invented a term and it's in a bunch of languages. Ah, okay. Now that I'm over being impressed, what, how did we get this way? Have we been carnists since prehistoric times? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, we have been, I mean, historically, when, when we look at the world through the lens of carnism, we, you know, tend to, just like when you look at the world through the dominant lens, you know, of any belief system, you tend to see only those facts in history that um, support the dominant way of being. So through the carnistic lens, we look only as far back in history as we need to to justify current carnistic practices. We like to believe that we've always eaten animals in that way, that, and therefore it's natural, it's the way things are meant to be. When in fact, originally, you know, we were our, our earliest ancestors were in fact fruit eaters. We evolved to eating a small amount of animals out of necessity. Um, but what really matters today is, you know, I think history is less important than um, the reality that today we have a choice, for many people in the world anyway, this is not true for everyone, but many people in the world today really do have a choice when it comes to eating animals. And when a behavior becomes a choice, it takes on an ethical dimension that it, it didn't have before. And so this really helps us to understand carnism because carnism is, a, as I said, it's a dominant belief system. That means it's invisible, it's entrenched, it shapes norms, laws, beliefs, behaviors, etc. And it also becomes internal shaping the very way that we think and feel or, you know, rather don't think and feel when it comes to eating animals. But carnism is also a violent ideology. It's organized around violence toward non-human animals. And most people care about animals and don't want them to suffer, especially when that suffering is so intensive and, and so completely unnecessary. And so carnism, violent systems such as carnism, really need to use um, a set of social and psychological defense mechanisms. And they use these so that humane people can participate in inhumane practices without fully realizing what they are doing. Really, carnism teaches us how not to think and how not to feel when it comes to those animals we've learned to classify as edible. Hello? Hello. I'm hearing Hi. you. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, it just cut out for a second. I'm sorry, it, it seems to have done that. Please go on. We heard you. 
No problem. So I was saying carnism um, teaches us how not to think and feel when it comes to those animals that we, we learn to think of as edible. And um, and so what's, what's most important today, I think, is not, as I was saying earlier, not necessarily to look back to for guidance because, I mean, we can look at history and we can see that, for example, murder and rape are arguably as, as long-standing and therefore as, you know, quote-unquote natural as eating animals, and yet we don't invoke the longevity of these practices as justification for them today. Today, I think what we need to do is to ask ourselves, you know, how, um, given, for, for those of us who do have the luxury of reflecting on the ethics of our choices, what kind of choices will reflect what we authentically think and feel rather than what we've been taught to think and feel. And in order to ask this question and to really make our food choices freely, we've got to step outside of the box that is carnism. We have to step outside of the system so that we can look at the world, we can, we can come to this issue objectively. As long as we're looking at the issue through the lens of carnism, we can never have an objective conversation. And, and we are not in control, therefore. Choices, uh, you know, appear not to be choices at all. Eating animals just seems to be a given rather than a choice. Well, I think we see this sometimes, and I believe the most recent illustration that I saw that was really in my face was a couple of weeks ago, I was having lunch in an outdoor cafe, and a couple of other people who were eating there were saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this pigeon is hurt. We have to catch the pigeon. Can somebody get a box? We need to catch the pigeon. So of course I got involved, and everybody else left their food and got involved to deal with the injured pigeon. And when it was all over and and the pigeon was, you know, out of the picture and people were back to their menus, they were ordering eggs (laughs) and chicken and other birds. But when that pigeon was right in front of us and present, then that was an animal to save. But in the menu context, other birds were there to eat. Is that what we're talking about? That is exactly right. That is a perfect example of carnism. Carnism really conditions us to block our awareness and shut down our empathy when it comes to those animals we've learned to classify as edible. It it teaches us to compartmentalize or to classify animals in our minds and our hearts so that we can be, you know, for example, petting our dog with one hand while we eat a pork chop with the other. A pork chop that had once been an animal who was at least as intelligent and sensitive and and conscious as as the dog. I mean, I grew up eating animals, so one of the things that really led me to do the research that I did was to, you know, my own journey, to reflect on my own life and say, how could I, a person who, you know, cares about animals, who cares about the truth, who cares about justice, participate in this, this practice for so much of my life without even pausing to ask why, without even thinking about what I was doing. And so really I wanted to raise awareness of carnism because carnism, it harms all of us, not just the billions and billions of sentient beings who are brutally slaughtered for their flesh and other body parts, um, but also for, for the consumers of these beings because carnism really requires that we act against our core values, values such as compassion, such as honesty, authenticity, reciprocity, the golden rule, justice. And it also requires that we act against our own interests and the interests of others. And so really by becoming aware of carnism, we become more empowered to live um, lives that reflect the, the deeper truth of our experience, and we become more empowered to help create the kind of world that, that we all really want to live in, a world that's centered around you know, values that, that we all espouse. Mm. It, this is a very empowering way of living. You feel that even though you can't change everything today, you're changing something today. Now, I want to ask you about vocabulary. Your, your book has a great title. I remember when I heard about it from your literary agent before the book came out, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. Now, you could have called it Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pork, and Wear Leather, but that wouldn't have been nearly as powerful. So talk to me about the words that we use, about the animals that we use. Well, language, you know, carnism requires us to distance ourselves from the truth of our own experience and from the reality of the experience of those beings that we end up consuming. And language can be a powerful distancing mechanism. For example, imagine if you were sitting down to a plate of chicken and you said to yourself, you know, I'm eating someone rather than something. 
language can connect or disconnect us from others and from ourselves. So, you know, when it comes to eating animals, there's a, there's a, a very uh, interesting lexicon that enables us to view the flesh on our plate as, you know, not as the living being it once was, but rather as a piece of food. Fascinating. So why is it important for vegans to understand carnism? Well, it's very important to understand the system that we're working to transform, for one. I mean, the goal of the vegan movement is not simply the abolition of animal agriculture. It's the transformation of carnism, which is the belief system that enables animal agriculture in the first place. Eating animals is not simply a matter of personal ethics. It's the inevitable end result of a deeply entrenched oppressive-ism. Eating animals really, therefore, is a social justice issue. And so it's important for us to recognize this, partly so that we can you know, unify with the other social movements that we're naturally aligned with, aligned with. It's important for vegans to recognize carnism because it helps us to lead more um, sustainable and um, grounded lives in a dominant animal-eating culture that can be very, you know, can offend our deepest, it does, it offends our deepest sensibilities on a minute-to-minute basis often. It helps us to feel more compassion for those to whom we're reaching out, to recognize that asking someone to stop eating animals is not simply asking for a change of behavior, but for a shift of consciousness. And this kind of shift doesn't come about until a person is ready for it. Like I explained my own journey, I mean, the, the truth was all around me when I was growing up, when I was a young adult, and I wasn't ready to see it. And so if we can be more compassionate in our outreach, if we can understand the psychology of those to whom we're reaching out, we can be more effective advocates for the animals and we can live lives that are, are more empowered for ourselves. And incarnism is also structured to, um, to silence the voices of those who would challenge it. And in this case, we're talking about the voices of vegans. And I have um, a fairly recent article um, called Speaking Truth to Power that's available at onegreenplanet.org that talks specifically about the way that carnism is structured to um, disempower vegans, to silence vegans, for example, to stereotype vegans, to pathologize vegans. If we shoot the messenger, we don't have to take seriously the implications of his or her message. And so in this way, by understanding the way carnism is structured, vegans can move from a place of despair, which is where we often find ourselves when we think about the overwhelming problem, to one of inspiration because we can recognize that the system is structured in a way to lead us to believe that we're not making a difference when, in fact, the world is changing rapidly and dramatically when it comes to the issue of eating animals. Oh, that sounds like a fabulous article. And if you would like to join in on this conversation, if you're listening live today on Wednesday afternoon, we're at 888-558-6489. You can ask your question of Dr. Melanie Joy, author of Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. Speaking of loving dogs, mine just jumped in my lap. He must have had a sense of what we were talking about. So why do non-vegans have a need to understand something about carnism? Um, Well, as I said earlier, carnism impacts all of us. Carnism is a system of victimization, and it victimizes all of us in different ways. And, um, you know, for for people to make their choices freely, um, they really need to become aware of the truth. Not only the truth about animal agriculture itself, but the truth about carnism, the system that has shaped their preferences, that has their, their um, feelings, their thoughts that has guided their food choices like an invisible hand because until people become aware of this system, then they're at the mercy of it and they're you know, essentially acting on autopilot. When people become aware of carnism, they can step outside of it and, as I said, you know, make their choices freely because without awareness, there is no free choice. So what have you noticed, Melanie, as you travel around speaking just about everywhere? Are you seeing a shift in attitudes about eating animals? Absolutely. Everywhere I go, and it is deeply inspirational to me. I'm in a very privileged position to be traveling around the world giving my carnism presentation to to large groups of of non-vegans and also meeting with people in positions of leadership in the vegan movement and activists around the world. And and I um, I see humanity is waking up when it comes to this issue. People really do care, and this is what keeps me inspired. I see everywhere people care. They care about animals. 
we care about animals. We care about the truth, and we care about justice. And people want to live more authentic and freely chosen lives. And it's simply a matter of breaking through the defenses of this violent system that is carnism to reach hearts and minds and help people reconnect with that natural caring that always has been there and that caring as it's applied not only to dogs and cats um, and other animals that we don't think of as edible, but to, to farmed animals who inside are no different than anyone else who has a life that matters to them. You remind me of my favorite quotation from Mahavira, to every creature, his own life is very dear. (laughs) That just seems to me the irrefutable statement about us and everybody else. So I'm talking today with Dr. Melanie Joy. You can find out more about her work at carnism.org. The book, if you haven't read it, is sensational, and it's a page-turner. You'll think you're reading a novel. I read it in one sitting, and it's called Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. We will be back after these announcements with more with Dr. Melanie Joy on Main Street Vegan Radio, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Now and then, life is challenging. I may not welcome challenge itself, but I welcome the opportunity to learn from whatever arises, to grow in understanding, to flex my spiritual muscles. Every day is a new day, a fresh start. No situation or circumstance can hold me back. My life is not only about what's happening to me, it's also what's happening through me. The Christ within is my source of unlimited wisdom and creativity. I do my best when I respond to any challenge from my Christ nature, rather than reacting impulsively from my human nature. Every day I pursue what enriches me, enjoying the journey to my goals as much as the destination. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or a friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, and I am talking today with Dr. Melanie Joy, author of Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. And you can find more about her at acarnism.org. And if you want to find out more about me and about Main Street Vegan, you can go to MainStreetVegan.net. You can learn more about Main Street Vegan Academy and all sorts of fun things that are happening over on Main Street. Dr. Melanie Joy, you have a story. You didn't just wake up one day and say, oh gosh, I think I'll be vegan now. Tell us your story. Well, Interestingly enough, my journey to veganism actually began when I was very young, although I didn't realize this until many years later. It began when I was about four years old um, on my father's fishing boat. My father um, was, and he is today, a professional fisherman. He's a, a charter captain. And, um, and I caught my first fish and my last fish. I killed my first and last animal. 
And, um, and I, I still remember to this day watching um, my parents, my parents helping me pull up the fishing pole and pull it with a blackfish out of the water, um, having them help me throw her, or they did it for me, throw her onto the deck of the boat, and, and watching her flap back and forth and um, gasping for breath. And my parents were cheering and applauding me and congratulating me. And I had this very strange feeling, which I later identified as guilt, but I couldn't be happy. And, um, and what's interesting is before that experience, my parents told me that fish was my favorite food. And after that, I started um, actually vomiting every time they tried to feed me fish. I got very sick. I couldn't stand the smell of fish. To this day, I'm 47. To this day, um, the only vegan food that I can't eat is seaweed because I'm so disgusted by it. I have this disgust response to it. Um, and it was, it was interesting. So I never ate after that point. I, I cut out with my first, you know, quote-unquote group of animal foods that I cut out, which was fish and other sea life. Um, and then it was later on in my life when I was, when I was, um, I was how old? 23 at the time, 1989. I, I had eaten animals. You know, I was eating beef and chicken and you know, pork, um, dairy and eggs. And um, I ended up getting very sick from eating a contaminated hamburger, um, a hamburger that had been contaminated with Campylobacter. And um, I was hooked up to IV antibiotics at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. And um, after having gotten sick, I, was, I became disgusted by, by meat, you know, because when you get these terrible stomach um, flus or infections, you know, often you don't want to eat whatever food it was that triggered it in the first place, but usually yes. that wears off. For me, however, what happened was that I just, I was disgusted, so I stopped eating meat and, and eggs, actually, completely. And something in me opened up to the truth about animal agriculture. You know, it was a truth that had been right in front of me for my whole life, but a truth that I had not yet been, you know, willing to see. And what I learned shocked and horrified me. I, I was just, I was, I, I couldn't believe what happened to these animals. And, you know, and even today, there's, there's a conversation about it. You know, there's this kind of shift to quote-unquote humane meat. But the reality is, as you said before, everyone has a life that they hold dear to them. And, and I couldn't reconcile me being a person who cared about animals and, you know, who was a rational person to, to have been, you know, actively participating in such completely unnecessary and, 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 you know, unnecessary violence toward other beings. I had also grown up with a dog who I lived, loved like a family member. Um, and I had also been very interested in and somewhat active in, in other social justice issues. And so I really couldn't reconcile participating in what, you know, the system that I later came to call carnism um, with my core values. And so I not only stopped eating animals, but I really decided that, you know, I, I don't, didn't want to only be a conscientious objector to the system. I wanted to be an active part of the solution. And so this really led me on my journey through carnism to veganism and then to vegan activism, which is you know, what led to my, my discovery of, of the system that I came to call carnism and the work that I do today, traveling around the world and, and writing and speaking and, and trying to raise awareness of carnism. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And it's so interesting to me how one experience builds on another I, I relate to a fish experience. Mine was in a restaurant <laughs> as opposed to on a fishing boat. But um, the, the fish had the head attached and then there were eyes there. And, and it was absolutely traumatic. I remember being hysterical in the restaurant. My parents were very kind and understanding and, and led me out. But that didn't mean that I wasn't eating meat the next day. But it all kind of goes into the psyche and... Uh, turns us into quite fascinating people. Now, you mentioned that you were interested in, in other social justice movements. How do you find the response to veganism among people that you know who are interested in human rights and other social justice issues? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question. There are all different types of responses. Um, I mean, there are because of this backlash against veganism and, you know, previously vegetarianism, you know, the dominant culture's way of kind of, as I said earlier, like silencing the voices of those who would challenge it. Um, you know, vegan has kind of become, people, some, people sometimes have antibodies to the term vegan. And, um, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes associated with it, although this is changing. Um, you know, veganism is becoming more and more, as you know, as, thanks to people like you and as you talk about, you know, mainstream. Um, 
But people in, 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 you know, working for other social justice movements, they are naturally aligned with, everybody is naturally aligned with veganism, actually. If we boil people, you know, boil it down to the, the core value, their core values. Um, and it's simply a matter of framing the conversation in a way that will help people be more receptive to it. Um, there's a saying um, that a bright light casts a dark shadow. Sometimes those of us who need most strongly to think of ourselves leading a moral life have the hardest time recognizing or witnessing our participation in anything that seems in opposition to that. Um, and so, so in that way, it can be challenging for vegans to reach out to people who are active in other social justice movements. But at the same time, one of the um, really empowering aspects of understanding carnism and talking about carnism is it enables us to talk about the issue in a way that's not blaming of the individual, but really recognizes that the problem lies in the system, the broader social system into which we're all born. You know, we've, we've all inherited this very messy world. And good people participate in harmful practices all the time without making them bad people. And I think this is a very important part of the frame that, that those of us who are working to advocate veganism need to, to remember and to embrace. There are other good people I want to ask you about. And these are the now mostly they seem to be calling themselves plant-based eaters. We used to call them dietary vegans. But they're people who eat the way you and I do but not for the reason that you and I do. And mm-hmm. sometimes they seem a little bit hard to reach to. What do we do with our brethren? Well, you know, I found, I'm actually working on an article about this very issue. Um, I have not found that to be the case. Um, in, in my experience, speaking to and reaching out to people who have adopted a plant-based diet um, is, in fact, quite, um, it, it can be very useful. It can be very useful for those of us who are advocating, for example, so-called ethical veganism. Just as, just as those who eat a plant-based diet, you know, often can, can vegans, I should say, can, can benefit from having a more whole foods, healthier diet as well. Very true. Um, there's a naturally in these two groups. Um, really, when people stop eating animals, um, carnism, let me back up, carnism is organized around defenses. And um, these defenses, some of these defenses fall under what I refer to as the three ends of justification. Eating animals is normal, natural, and necessary. And carnism is only as strong or as stable as its defenses. So when these defenses, when these defenses destabilize within us and within society, then there's more receptivity to the message about veganism. So when we're talking to somebody who already doesn't see eating animals or experience the eating of animals as normal, it's not normal for them anymore. They've stopped doing it. They know it's not natural and they know it's not necessary. There's a natural receptiveness or receptivity that would not necessarily otherwise be there. And so there is um, much more of an openness to the message in some ways than we might find among the general public. I think there are a lot of misconceptions um, and frustrations that are held by vegans about people who become, you know, who, who stop eating animals for health reasons. And it's very important for those of us who are advocating ethical veganism to examine our, the, the stereotypes and our assumptions about why people um, or what kind of people make those decisions because, um, we are naturally in alignment. You know, we're all seeking to create a world that supports the health of ourselves and other animals and our planet. And we are animals too. And our health matters as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think that if you're an animal, you don't really care why somebody isn't eating you. (laughs) You're just grateful that they're not. I think the thing that is most problematic for ethical vegans is when high profile people who were eating a plant-exclusive diet decide that for whatever reason, they're better off going in a different direction and explaining (laughs) at length about why the different direction is better. I think this makes ethical vegans feel like they have more cleanup to do than they would like. Well, you know, I think that it's important to to remember that... um, High prof- I mean, we're talking about an exception here, for one. And um, just the fact that somebody who's high profile has eaten a plant-based diet in the first place opens up a dialogue that might not have been opened up before. And it may not be fair for us to hold anybody to standards um, or to expect anybody, I, I should say, to 
be embracing ethical veganism when they haven't actually stepped outside of the carnistic mentality in the first place. Um, in other words, I don't know that, that it's fair for us to hold plant-based eaters to higher, quote-unquote, higher standards than we would anybody else because they haven't actually stepped outside of the ideology fully. They've stopped practicing some of the behaviors that are involved in the ideology, but they haven't actually stepped outside of it. In other words, they're still influenced by carnism. And, um, and I think opening up this diet in and of itself, um, as I said, can be tremendously beneficial. You know, I'll give an example. I, I was at um, Dr. McDougall's conference a couple of years ago. You may be familiar with, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. McDougall's work, Advocating a Plant-Based Diet. Yes. Um, the audience was, you know, it was almost entirely people who were on a pl- following a plant-based diet for health reasons, not for ethical reasons. And I gave my carnism presentation, and I got a standing ovation, and people were lining up afterwards to, to thank me for helping them open their hearts to the truth about eating animals when um, they hadn't made that connection before. And, and that is very inspiring, and that really can, can teach us a lot. Um, and I also really believe that, um, you know, as you pointed out, it doesn't matter in some ways why people stop eating animals. It's useful the fact that they did stop eating them in the first place. And many vegans are concerned that if we stop eating animals for purely health reasons, then we're at risk of recidivism. We're at risk of, of, of slipping back into another diet, you know, another lifestyle if we find information that, you know, disproves that a plant-based diet is the healthiest one. And so this can be a bit threatening. But that's something that we've inherited from the 1960s and 1970s and, and even before then, where, you know, vegetarianism was just becoming, you know, part of the, you know, part of our consciousness. It was just starting to evolve into a real movement. And, um, and people were nervous because there wasn't enough literature out there. There wasn't enough research demonstrating that a vegan diet was, in fact, helpful. The question then was really, you know, not can I be healthy on how healthy can I be on a vegan diet, but can I survive on a vegan diet so I can therefore advocate this and people won't be afraid that they're going to sicken and die if they stop eating animals. But today that's just not the case. Today, for example, when people find out that I'm vegan, rather than looking at me like I've got two heads like they used to, they say, oh, that's why you look so healthy or that's why you look so young or, oh, I'd love to be able to do that. It's just too hard for me. Yeah, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Or I've even had people say, well, I'm not as good as you, but I'm eating better. And I always say it's not about being good. It's just about being awake and, and, and willing. And I love what you said about people who do this for health, but then go back, have not stepped out of the carnistic box yet. That is so perfect, and that really allows for so much forgiveness and empathy, and it keeps the door open that they can come back in later if they so desire without feeling that all the vegans are there saying, no, you missed your chance. Yes, exactly. that's actually a great way of framing it. It's the same way that people working in animal protection, for example, people working for humane society who are also vegan can get so frustrated with their colleagues and say, but you're working, your life is organized around protecting animals. How can you go home and eat them at night? Well, this is just testament to the fact that carnism is an entrenched system. It's so entrenched that we are, why, I mean, we, we are, you know, we have this dramatic ability to compartmentalize so much so that we really can focus our lives on saving animals and continue to eat them at the same time. And, and so when we recognize that the problem is, you know, this internalization of the system and that we are all looking at the world through the lens of the system until we step outside of that, then we can find um, compassion for others and we can continue to be open and invite people to make that connection um, when they're ready to rather than pushing them out of the very movement that we need to attract them to. That's beautiful. In our last minute, what is your first step for someone to get out of the carnistic worldview? That's a great question. Um, I encourage people, as the title of my book suggests, to simply ask why. You know, most of us go through our entire lives, you know, when we think about the most important and frequent choices that we make in some ways are food choices on autopilot and never asking why. Why do we eat some animals and not others? And, you know, and how can I learn more about this? 
And so, you know, I really invite people to come to visit us at carnism.org because we've got a lot of resources for everyone, regardless as to where they fall on the carnistic continuum. Um, whether you're, you know, practicing carnism eating animals or you're um, a passionate vegan, um, we have a lot of support materials. But really just getting people to commit to connecting to the truth of their own experience, looking inside and asking what's true for me, what do I think and what do I feel when it comes to this issue. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, our time is up. Dr. Melanie Joy, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows, thank you so, so very much for being with us today and sharing your experience and your wisdom. Thanks for all that you do in the world. Next week, everybody here on Main Street Vegan, our guests will be Jenny Messina, RD, and J.L. Fields, VLCE, authors of Vegan for Her. Guys, you can listen to. Thanks, everybody. God bless and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. As Reverend Felicia Blanco Circe points out in her book, Do Greater Things, there is the potential for joy, wholeness, and expansiveness designed into every moment. And the miracle is when we recognize the constant presence of these qualities all around us. Once we see what is possible, our lives then begin to change. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Rev. Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now, in the silence, to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you 
have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.